You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Two quick things I want to touch on before we start the show this week. Quick thing number one, in honor of last Thursday, to remember the day 824 and to keep it holy, I propose that facials be henceforth and forevermore known as mugshots. There was one reaction to the release of Donald Trump's mugshot last Thursday that I wanted to highlight. Jesse Waters, the useful right-wing idiot who took over Tucker Carlson's slot on Fox News, had this to say about the mugshot seen around the world. I am now going to book the Fulton County photographer for my Christmas card. <laughs> because, Judge, and I say this with a unblemished record of heterosexuality, he looks good. And, and he looks hard. All right. Setting aside he looks good, he looks hard, what does a conservative straight man mean when he says that his record of heterosexuality is without blemish. Because a quick look at Jesse Waters' record of heterosexuality reveals a couple of blemishes. Waters cheated on his first wife, with whom he had two small children, with a woman who worked under him at Fox News, and then left his wife and his kids for that woman, married her, had a couple of more kids. All right, the course of true love ne'er did run smooth, not even through the offices of Fox News. People have affairs, people get divorced. But some might consider that a blemish on your record. Waters has also admitted that he let the air out of the tires of a car that belonged to a woman whose pants he wanted to get into, so that that woman would be stranded where they were and need a ride, which he offered and she accepted because she had no choice. He was married at the time that he pulled this stunt, had two small kids at home when this happened. Now he's married to the woman he did that to. And I'm sure that woman tells herself every day that her now husband, the father of her now children, would never ever do anything like that to any other woman ever again because he's a married man with kids. But others would see that forcing a woman to get into a car with you, that could be seen as a blemish on your record of heterosexuality. I'm being willfully obtuse here. We all know what Waters meant by unblemished record of heterosexuality. He means no homo. He means he's never touched a dude with his dick. He means he's never cheated on his wife with a dude. He means he's never let the air out of the tires of some dude's car in the hopes of getting into that dude's pants. Broken vows, affairs, lies, divorces, broken homes, traumatized children, shitty behavior, not blemishes on your record of heterosexuality. Five out of five stars. Perfect score because no homo. You know, it would be nice to live in a world where claims of an unblemished record of heterosexuality were grounded not in what you haven't done with or to all the men you were never attracted to and never dated and never married, but what you have done with and to all the women you were attracted to and did date and have married. For us gay guys, hearing Jesse Waters say that carried a little special extra ironic charge because... There's a funny thing about straight guys who claim to have unblemished records of heterosexuality. And that funny thing is that gay men have heard straight men before Jesse Waters make that claim. 
sometimes those exact same words have come out of their mouths right before our dicks went into them. A straight guy will tell you about his unblemished record of heterosexuality right before drunkenly begging you to blemish his ass. So this kind of no homo has a sort of homo vibe. Now, I'm not saying that this was the case this time. I am not saying Jesse Waters is a messy, cock-hungry closet case. He's no Matt Schlapp. The man-ass Waters is interested in is Trump's. And the fear necessitating that no homo, that assertion of an unblemished record, the fear is that as he shoves his tongue deeper and deeper into Donald Trump's ass, at some point it's going to meet up with Tucker Carlson's tongue or Sean Hannity's tongue, which are in there already, and that there might be something a little gay about their tongues touching in Donald Trump's ass. So a no homo is needed before going in. Quick thing number two, Riverdale, not a TV show I follow, not a TV show I watch. If it's not a show you watch, all you need to know is that it's a noirish, dimly lit update on the Archie Comics universe, focused as the comic books have been since 1941 on the love triangle between Archie, Betty, and Veronica. The actor KJ Appa, who plays Archie, looked so much like my middle school crush, a kid named Alfie, that I'm not sure it's even legal for me to look at KJ Appa. But I've had to look at him a lot. I don't watch the show, but shirtless pictures of Appa are constantly hitting gay news websites because shirtless straight actors with abs are gay news. And so I've seen his photo once in a while. And every time I see his photo, I think, oh, is Riverdale still on? And it's not. Not anymore. Series finale aired last week. And shocker, the love triangle between Archie, Betty, and Veronica concluded in a very modern way. During a flash forward to Betty on her deathbed in her 80s, we are then flashed back to Riverdale High 37 years earlier, and we learn that Archie, Betty, and Veronica wound up in a poly quad with Jughead. It started innocently enough with the four of us going on double dates, me and Archie, Jughead, and Veronica, and then it kind of naturally evolved from there. Some nights, Archie would sneak into my bedroom and Veronica would go home with Jughead. Other nights, Archie would spend the night at the Pembroke, and I'd go over to Jughead's. And sometimes, more often than you'd imagine, I would find my way to Veronica's. Archie, for the record, never went home with Jughead. This was a four-way relationship without four ways. The New York Post reports that fans of Riverdale were outraged. Riverdale introduced murder into the relentlessly sunny, cheerful, low-stakes Archie Comics universe way back in season one. But polyamory at the end of season seven, fans not having it. Also outraged, advocates of polyamory. Brett Chamberlain, executive director of Open, the Organization for Polyamory and Ethical Non-Monogamous Relationships, told TMZ, it's frustrating that Riverdale used its character's non-monogamous relationship as a, quote, shocking twist rather than engaging with an authentic portrayal of non-monogamy. Or, hashtag, our culture is not your plot twist. I can see why fans are outraged. Not resolving a love triangle at the end of a seven-season-long show about a love triangle? Not as bad as making Bran King at the end of Game of Thrones, but a cop-out. 
I wasn't a Riverdale fan, but Riverdale fans, like advocates of polyamory, deserved better. Magnum Subs, Savage Love Live, my Zoom show where I answer your questions live and hang out with Nancy and the tech savvy at risk youth. Our next Savage Love Live is coming up this Thursday, August 31st, 12 noon Pacific. Grab a Magnum Sub for just eight bucks right now at savage.love slash subscribe. If you'd like to join us and you're not already a Magnum Sub, you'll get Savage Love Live and all the other extras that come along with being my sub if you subscribe now. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and on the Magnum Savage Lovecast, sex therapist Claire Perlman joins me to talk threesomes and more. All that coming up on today's show. This episode is brought to you by Beducated, the leading platform for pleasure-based sex education for adults. Go to beducated.com and use the code SAVAGE for an exclusive 40% off. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click print mail and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now, use Savage for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SAVAGE. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. I'm a late 20s queer trans man calling from Canada. I started a new job a few months ago, and I have a coworker who I feel uncomfortable with. He's a new Canadian around my age from a very male-dominated society. He says some really misogynistic things around me, but he also sometimes stares at me while I'm working and finds reasons to put his hands on me, like on my arms, my shoulders, my back, uh, and twice my belly and once my butt. Uh, and he'll make comments to me like, oh, you have a cute baby face, or you have a nice firm belly, or I like the way you trim your beard, followed up with, that's why you get all the girls, even though I've tried to explain that I have a non-binary partner and I'm decently queer presenting. I was never really trying to keep that a secret. Uh, however, I'm not out as trans to any of the people that I work with because I'm not comfortable and I'm far enough into my transition that no one would guess. So my theory about this coworker is that he's into me and he's closeted. I think that the fact that there is a strong cultural expectation of marrying a woman makes him resent women more. And that's why he makes these kind of comments about why the only reason he wants a wife is so that she can obey him. Uh, so I'm pretty uncomfortable. Unfortunately, my supervisor is a misogynist as well. He straight up told me that he prefers to hire men, so I can't go to him. Any advice on how to handle this situation would be greatly appreciated. You in danger, girl. And this is me affirming your gender identity because you in danger, girl, that is something I say to my queer male friends and my queer male friends say to me, I am recognizing you as a fellow guy when I say you in danger, girl, quoting Whoopi Goldberg from Ghost. This sounds like a potentially explosive situation. I understand why you choose to be stealth in a situation like this. And I understand that a lot of people take jobs that they have no choice but to take and then sometimes have to be closeted about certain aspects of who they are. 
sexually, who they are when it comes to gender identity, what their history with gender might be, who they are politically. There are people who vote for Joe Biden, who voted for Joe Biden, who are going to vote for him again, who work in very red places, who wouldn't want their coworkers to know that they voted Democratic. But it's a dangerous, volatile situation that you find yourself in. To be on the receiving end of the kind of attentions you're getting from this guy, this misogynistic guy from a culture that, you know, where women are sequestered. There's a lot of situational homosexuality in those cultures. I don't think just because he's paying this kind of unwanted, unwelcome, creepy-ass attention to you means that he's necessarily gay, but it could mean that he is capable of enjoying sex between men. I went to Egypt once 30 years ago with my then boyfriend. We spent a month traveling in Egypt. We got hit on so much by people who we did not think were gay. It was a culture, you know, cultures where women are locked away, a lot of situational homosexuality, as in places where there are no women available. Prisons, pirate ships, English boarding schools. And the moment this person, you know, I've been, I worked with somebody like this a million years ago who was straight and very masculine and invested in being straight and a bro who then cornered me in a basement and made a move on me in this restaurant where we worked and I was out and gay. And then after I shut it down because I wasn't interested, especially in his, he was hot, but I wasn't interested in his energy which was creepy and desperate and closeted, he was not able to be in the same room with me without treating me like shit, without being awful to me because I knew who he was. I worry that you may find yourself in a similar situation here where this guy makes a move on you, more of a move, bigger moves than he's already making on you. And you're not out, you're not able to be out, you work with a bunch of misogynists, and it just sounds like a dangerous place. And if you have the ability, the opportunity to get out of there, to get a job someplace else, it doesn't have to be a place where you're out as trans. You can be a man and Transitioning can be something that you did in the past and you don't have to identify as trans and disclose the fact that you're a trans man. You can live in the world as a man. But it just listening to your call, I just began to feel so worried for you and your safety in this environment where your supervisor hates women and is a misogynist and this guy who's your coworker who's touching you Touching your body is a misogynist and may be gay and deeply conflicted about that. I guarantee you that if he is gay and a fucked up misogynist, he is deeply conflicted about the gay shit. And you may bear the brunt of his self-hatred, of his externalized, weaponized self-hatred. If he makes a pass at you and you shut it the fuck down. And then who are you going to go to in your workplace for support? I mean, maybe you're supervisor would fire him for being gay, misogynists and homophobes, homophobia is misogyny's snotty nosed little brother. If your supervisor hates women, probably hates gay men too. And if this guy outs himself as 
gay or situationally homosexual, that may be enough to get his ass fired by your supervisor. You could leverage your supervisor's presumed homophobia to get him the fuck out of there and make your workplace a tiny bit safer. I think the best advice for you is if you have the option to find yourself a new fucking job, start making a plan and pulling together a resume so you can get the fuck out of there, I think for your own safety and sanity, that that's what you should do. It's not what you should have to do. No one should have to live in a world where there are workplaces like this and no one should have to endure a workplace like this. But some way the only solution to a workplace like this is getting the fuck out of that workplace and into a new one. Hey Dan, late 20s cishet male living in Europe. During my late teens, I discovered I have kink for anal play. And since then, I've been watching progressively more anal porn to the point that most of the porn I watch nowadays is anal. For about a year now, I've been single after a relationship that had anal sex on the menu. We didn't always have specifically anal sex, but some kind of anal play was a usual part of the sex. During the time that I've been single, I've only had one other sexual partner with whom I had PIV sex a couple of times, and I found myself needing to perform some kind of anal play on her to get myself over the edge. Thankfully, she was into it, so it wasn't a problem. I don't think I have any aversion towards vulvas or vaginal sex. I'll happily go down on a girl and love every second of it. What I'm worried about is if I've conditioned myself via porn to orgasm only if anal is involved, and if I'll have a partner that won't be into it, I'll be left with blue balls. So is it something that my porn habits could have caused? And if so, do you have any suggestion on how to deal with the situation? So you got out of a long relationship with anal on the menu. You've had one sex partner since, and although you had PIV, there was some anal engagement, enough anal play to get you there, to get you off. So seems to me that we can infer from your sexual history that there are women out there who enjoy anal stimulation, anal play, anal engagement during other kinds of sex. And I hope you're being safe and not going from butt to vag and back with your tongue or your dick or anything else. And so rather than try to unlearn what maybe porn conditioned you to enjoy most, or maybe you sought out porn that showed it because that was what already turned you on. It's sometimes hard to tease out what we bring to porn and what porn brings to us and what a crazy kind of feedback loop or self-reinforcing dynamic can be created by our, our porn consumption habits. But what turns you on turns you on. And if you can roll with what turns you on, that's going to be easier than attempting to unlearn what turns you on or rewire yourself. I think it's going to be important for your sex partners that you have more in your toolbox, more in your skill set than just anal. And you say that you do. You say that you love eating pussy. You say that with the last person that you slept with, PIV happened. Okay. So seek out women who dig anal. They are out there. They are overrepresented in pornography made for straight men, but it is as big a lie to say that no women are into anal as it is to say that as many women are into anal as porn makes young straight men think are into anal. You can find them. Just be honest about what you're interested in. I've known women who preferred anal 
intercourse. The clitoris is a giant organ. It extends back into the body. I've had conversations with women, with friends, who were able to reliably come from penetration, the Freudian gold standard for women's orgasms, but not vaginal penetration, anal penetration. Maybe because it was slamming around the back of their clitoral tissues. Maybe, you know, as we say, the biggest sex organ is the one between your ears. Maybe there was something about the transgressiveness of it that was just such a turn on that it pushed them closer to the edge during penetrative sex. But those women are out there and it is your privilege to go find them and eat their asses. This episode is brought to you by Beducated, the world's biggest platform for the kind of sex education you didn't get but always wanted. So let's say you're looking to spice things up in the bedroom or the playroom. You want to take your pleasure to the next level. Beducated brings pleasure-based sex education to your bedroom or your playroom with over 100 online courses from the world's top sex experts. Whether you're single or in a relationship, Beducated is a safe space for everyone, regardless of sexual orientation or gender. Their courses will help you enjoy sex more by demystifying the things you've always been curious about and helping you communicate better with your partner or partners about the things you're already doing but want to do better or the things you've always wanted to try. Beducated offers a variety of courses. It's one of their standout features, courses covering everything from online dating to adventurous play from tantra to kink or just getting started kissing. You can choose to learn on your own or with your partner and their content, Beducated's content, is inclusive, embracing all races, sexual orientations, and genders. In addition to those deep dive courses, there are also quickies, short and informative video clips. The quickies on threesomes manage to cover everything from jealousy to to STI safety, to finding potential threesome partners in just a few really great informative minutes. So if you're inexperienced and curious about something new like threesomes or DS that you want to explore with a trusted partner or a new partner, those conversations can sometimes be hard to get started. Sometimes people are self-conscious. Watching quickies together could really help you get that conversation going. And right now, Beducated has an exclusive offer for my listeners. Get 40% off their yearly pass by using my special coupon code SAVAGE. That's right, 40% off. And that 40% is locked in for life. Plus, you can try all Beducated courses for one day free with no risk thanks to their 14-day money-back guarantee. Say yes to pleasure. Say yes to knowledge. Say yes to becoming Beducated. Visit Beducated.com today and let your journey to better sex begin now. That's Beducated, B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D.com. Use the coupon code SAVAGE for your exclusive 40% off the yearly pass. Hi, Dan. I need advice. I texted my stepsister to wish her a happy 13th birthday the other day, and I googled what kinds of things children can do when they turn 13 because I know her mother doesn't let her watch R-rated movies. And I saw on the list that you can make a YouTube account when you turn 13. And so I kind of jokingly suggested, hey, you can be a YouTuber now. And she goes, oh, well, I already have an account. And I asked if I was allowed to look at it and she sent me a link. And it turns out she posts videos of herself playing this first-person shooter game. She's not in the videos herself. It's all screen recorded. 
So her face is not out there, but she has hundreds of subscribers and she says in her bio that she's a 13-year-old girl. I guess I'm just worried about not so much the effects of a first-person shooter game on her, but more that she seems to be pretty popular. I don't know if people are messaging her. Um, Obviously, she had the account before she was old enough, too, so she must have been lying about her age at some point. Is it my place to tell her mom about this and ask her if she's okay with it? Just for context, I'm 30. I don't live with them. They live in a different state. Um, Her mom and my dad are not married, but they've been living together for almost 10 years. Should you route your stepsister out to her mother? That depends. And what it depends on, I'll get to in a second. But first, for the record, children under the age of 13 cannot have YouTube accounts or channels. Children between the ages of 13 and 17 can, but only with a parent's permission. Doesn't sound like your stepsister got or would have gotten her mother's permission. And if she just turned 13 and she already has hundreds of followers for her first person shooter YouTube account, Yeah, clearly she created that account before she was 13 years old. So she lied to somebody or she lied at some point, which lots of kids under the age of 13 have managed to do and created Instagram accounts for themselves and YouTube accounts for themselves and Twitch streaming accounts for themselves. So what do you do? Well, do you rat her out? It depends. If you rat her out, she is not going to confide in you anymore. And I think you have to make a judgment here on what's going to be more valuable for your stepsister and what's going to keep her safer. Having an adult, you, in her life that she can confide in and she can talk to if somebody is behaving inappropriately toward her, if somebody among her hundreds of followers, and you know what, a 13 or 12-year-old girl who's open about being 13 years old on their YouTube channel and has hundreds of followers, odds that some of those followers are not there for her first person shooting skills are pretty high. And it might be good if she had someone in her life that she could go to if there was something happening, someone saying something to her, someone asking something of her that was inappropriate She might need that trusted adult who's not her mom, who's not going to take her phone and her computer away or make her home life insanely unpleasant. Are you that person? You say that you spoke to your niece, I'm sorry, your stepsister on her birthday. Do you speak to her once a year on her birthday or do you speak to her all the time? Are you in regular communication? Are you her confidant? If you rat her out, you are not going to be her confidant anymore. And that's what you have to weigh here. What is going to make her safer? Having you there to confide in, having you there to supplement her 13-year-old bullshit detectors, which are not going to be very good. Having you there, if somebody asks her to do something or wants to send her something or is creeping on her in her comment threads in a way that makes her uncomfortable, having you there to turn to, Is that going to keep her safer than you go into her mother, which is a perfectly legitimate, reasonable choice and telling her mother what she's been doing. And then her mother shutting down the account she's got now, 
her concluding that she can't confide in you and therefore will not confide in you anymore. And then most likely kids being kids and kids being better at computers and the internet than their parents, your stepsister creating another account that she doesn't tell anybody about, that she doesn't confide in you about. It's a judgment call. You're going to have to weigh what you think is going to keep your 13-year-old stepsister safer. You being there to help her, even if it means behind her mother's back, or her mother shutting this shit down, and then you not being there to help her because she will not ever again, at least until she's over the age of 18, risk confiding in you. This episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. I know that it's really hard work to run a small business. I don't have much of a mind for business myself, so I appreciate everyone who works so hard on this show. And I appreciate everyone out there who's slogging away, making your venture, your small business work too. My hat is off to you. Stamps.com gets it because for the last 25 years, they've been helping businesses like yours save time and money so you can focus on your business. Knowing Stamps.com has all your postage needs covered with premium discounts and great rates. With Stamps.com, all you need is a computer and a printer. They even send you a free scale so you'll have everything you need to get started. If you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule it through your Stamps.com dashboard. And if you sell products online, Stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Running a business isn't cheap, especially when it comes to fulfilling orders for your customers. Luckily, Stamps.com has huge carrier discounts of up to 84% off USPS and UPS rates. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. For 25 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the USPS and UPS services you need right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Set your business up for success when you get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code SAVAGE, S-A-V-A-G-E, for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code SAVAGE. Hello, Dan. I got out of a two-and-a-half-year relationship about two or three months ago, and right after it, I felt like I was fine. I've been sleeping around and everything, but I'm still in love with the person. We still talk in a friendly way, but I just want to know what's the best way to get over it. I know it sounds cliche, but I'm really not sure what what to do. Amy Hackney, a psychology professor at Georgia Southern University, she knows what you should do, and she shared it recently with Faith Hill, writes for The Atlantic, who we had on the show to talk about rebound relationships, tried to highlight this during our conversation because Amy Hackney's research supports an old adage, something that people have been throwing around for years, not an expression that I coined. Can you coin an expression? Not an expression that I busted out for the very first time. To get over someone, get under someone else. What Amy Hackney told Faith Hill, quote, the sooner they began dating someone new, the faster, people who had just been dumped, felt that they had recovered from 
a prior relationship, an important prior relationship. It's only been a couple of months since you got out of this 2.5 year relationship that you're still feeling big feelings, feeling some regret that you still love this person. Maybe you were the one dumped by this person. Maybe the relationship was ended and you didn't choose to end the relationship that you're still reeling two months later. Perfectly understandable. I would actually be more concerned if I were you two months after uh, a long-term relationship came to an end with somebody I still had feelings for. I would be more concerned if I wasn't still reeling, if I wasn't still feeling sad and conflicted. It's a good sign about your emotional health that you're not completely over this person, indifferent to what you gave up or what you lost or what was taken from you. That would be kind of a sociopath's move or evidence, I think, of a sociopathic personality not to diagnose people who are trying to get away from that, right? So take it as a good sign that you're still having big feelings, but take Amy Hackney at Georgia Southern University's research as a sign also that you need to get out there. You need to get some new dick. You need to get on top of or under some new guys so that you can get over that other guy. And maybe, maybe if it makes you feel worse when you talk to him, take a break from talking to him. It's, I'm just going to assume that he dumped you. Maybe it was a mutual decision, but if he dumped you and said, but I still want to be friends, I still value our connection. You may sometimes as the dumped person, accept that friendship and that ongoing connection in the place of what you really wanted from and with that person. And you don't want to seem small or petty or too hurt by the relationship ending. So you continue to interact with that person and it just prevents the wound from scabbing over and healing up. You can tell someone that you dumped or someone that dumped you, I need to take a break. I want to be friends, but you know what? I need six months or even a year of no contact so that I can be your friend without being super sad about not being your lover anymore. Hi, my question is about etiquette when it comes to sending naked pictures. So a lot of people match on apps and then before they meet, they send naked pictures and then they decide whether or not they're going to meet up, hang out, whatever. Um, I'm fine with that. I get a lot of intel from a DP. I look at the angles. I look at the background. There's so much to see. But something that upsets me is when people send me DPs or naked pictures of them having sex with or including another woman. It just makes me feel not special. And I just don't like to see the other person. I know that everybody is always, you know, hooking up with each other and fine, whatever, so much non-exclusivity. But it just upsets me because also, if I were the woman in that picture, I'd be pissed. I'd be pissed off myself. My question is, is it reasonable for me to expect people to say, hey, solo pics fine, fire them off, whatever, you have my consent. But then should there be another level where they say, hey, I want to send you a picture that includes someone else or a picture of me having sex with someone else. Is that like, is that okay with you? Do you want to see that? Are you interested in seeing that? And then I can decide yes or no. Let's see it. Is that reasonable for me to expect people to like stop and ask again? Or is it cool that everybody's firing off pictures of them having sex with other people? In Gayland, we have different names for the different sorts of pictures that you describe. Because of course in Gayland, we have different names for 
everything. Everything in Gayland is very carefully sorted and classified. We've got tops, bottoms, sides, twinks, twonks, otters, bears, muscle bears, daddies, daddy bears, actual daddies. So of course we have different names for the different kinds of pictures that you describe. A pic with a dick in it is a dick pic. A pic with that dick in it and someone else in it, that is called a play pic. You could make that clear to the people whose dick pics you are soliciting on the internet that you'd like to see the dick, but you don't want to see anybody else in that picture. You want a dick pic, not a play pic. I think it's reasonable of you to expect that someone who's trying to get into your pants would have the emotional intelligence not to send you pictures of themselves with other women, even though you know they're not virgins, they're not virgins on the internet blasting out dick pics to people they'd like to have anonymous or very, very hyper-casual sex with. There's not a lot of virgins on the internet. You know that they've been with other people. That's not something you necessarily want in the forefront of your mind while you're looking at their dick pics. Also something you don't want to have to think about, but you know, in a way, maybe it's good these guys are telling on themselves in this way, is you don't want to worry about whether the other person in that photo has consented to that photo being shared. What is that guy telling you at that moment about how he's going to treat you, about how seriously he takes matters of consent if he is sending out photographs with other women in it that... I guess by default, you have to assume he doesn't have their permission to share those photographs with you. Now, there are lots of gay guys on the internet who share play pics, who have the permission of their play partners to share those pics with anybody. I think it's less common for straight women or bi women who are sleeping with cis men to be comfortable with their pictures being blasted out to strangers on the internet. Not quite revenge porn, but certainly, I guess, stupid porn or stupid sharing of a dick pic that isn't a dick pic. It's a play pic. And a play pic, of course, involves and touches on and implicates more people than just and exposes more people than just the dick of the person who happens to be the dick in the photograph sharing that photograph of not a dick, but of sex that that person had. It is a play pick. I think you should, if you're really uncomfortable with this, if you solicit those dick pics, say, yes, you can send me a dick pic. Don't do this dumb thing that some guys do. And of course, no guy that you're talking to is going to want to think he's a dumb guy. Say, don't do this dumb thing some guys have done. It turns me off when a guy sends me play pics, when a guy sends me photos of him having sex with other people who have not consented or I have no way of knowing whether they've consented to sharing that pic of them, not necessarily of you, with me. So, dick pic, yes, play pic, no. Hi, all at the Lovecast. I'm a late 30s cishet male living and working in Florida, and I'm calling about my relationship with my job. Actually, I am a public high school teacher, and the Florida legislature has been attacking trans youth for well over a year now. And this year, they've gone so far off the rails that I cannot ask my students for their preferred pronouns. My trans colleagues at work cannot introduce themselves using their pronouns. And I can't even ask my students if they have a nickname for fear that that nickname may stray too far from the gender they were assigned at birth. 
So my question is this, do you have any insight on whether it's better to stay and try to be a covert ally for these students who need to be seen and loved and heard and tell them that yes, it gets better? Or should I pick up and leave the state that I love I, with all of its flaws and the job that I love for a place that will respect human dignity? Uh, after your years in the trenches, Dan, do you have any insight on the age-old battle of whether to stay and fight or leave and find someplace safe? You're safe. You're a cisgendered, heterosexual man. As a teacher, you're being micromanaged by the Florida GOP that controls the state legislature and, of course, the governor's mansion. And you are at risk if you <sighs> used a kid's nickname or asked kids what their preferred pronouns might be at risk of being fired. But you're not unsafe in the way trans queer, gender non-conforming kids in Florida schools are now. Should you stay? Should you go? Well, on the one hand, if you left the state, you would be, if you quit your job and moved somewhere where queer kids were safer, the queer kids you might work with in that other place were safer than the queer kids are where you work now. If you left, you would be contributing to Florida's enormous growing teacher shortage. There are, according to the Florida Education Association, 8,000 teacher positions unfilled in Florida and 6,000 support staff vacancies across the state. It's going to reach a crisis in Florida. The more the Florida state legislature micromanages what teachers can say or do or how they put their classrooms together, the more Bomb threats, libs of TikTok direct at teachers who are foolish enough in this climate to post risable, risable, never remember how to say that word shit on TikTok. Maybe not a great idea at this particular moment. The more teachers are going to leave. And maybe that will bring the Florida state legislature to its senses and they will roll some of this back and stop micromanaging classrooms and terrorizing queer students. Or maybe this is their goal. Maybe they're trying to break public education. Maybe that's not a maybe. Maybe that's a stated goal of the Republican Party over the last 50 fucking years, to end public education in America, to privatize it, to send public monies to private educational institutions that are engaged in, oh, what's that word they use all the time about us? Oh, right, indoctrination of students, religious indoctrination of students. Uh, so if you leave, maybe you will help break schools, grind the school system in Florida to a halt, and then maybe politicians in your state will stop this, or maybe it was the goal. Ah, So stay or go, stay and fight, or go somewhere that you're pretty much as safe as you are right now in Florida, or go somewhere where you're pretty much as safe as you are as a straight man in Florida right now, but your queer students, the queer students that you'll be working with in that other place can be out to you, to each other, to their peers. It's a hard call. It really is a hard call because you're either by going going to help bring Florida to its senses, or you're going to be bringing Florida a little bit closer to where Republicans want Florida to be, which is a public education free state. 
if I was a queer kid in a Florida classroom right now, that teacher who risked rolling his eyes a little bit, maybe just enough so that I, as the queer student in the room, could perceive it, and the kid in the room with fundamentalist Christian parents who are just itching to go to a school board meeting and blow the fuck up about the teacher rolling their eyes, if I was that queer kid, that would be a lifeline. That would be very important to me. Those trans teachers who are still there and obeying the letter of the law and rolling their eyes a little bit and the straight teachers who are doing the same. So you can go, you can stay. There's some benefit perhaps if you go, there's some risk perhaps if you go, but there's going to be a definite benefit to the queer students in your classroom. If you can engage in nonverbal, silent communication protest in the classroom in such a way that the queer kids can tell what it is the fuck that you're doing, they will benefit, which tips the scales towards staying. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, I want to share a couple comments left on last week's show at savage.love. Says Jen, to the caller whose partner proposed publicly, you said you don't know what marriage means to him. Caller, find out before you marry him. If you like his answer, lovingly but clearly let him know why his proposal made you uncomfortable and request a do-over. Let him know how you want to be treated so he can start practicing treating you better now. About the same caller, John H. says, A surprise public proposal is unacceptably manipulative, entitled, and sexist. That this guy would even possibly think a big surprise proposal is a good idea, having not discussed marriage at all with the caller, speaks so poorly of his judgment that I think the caller should immediately dump him. At a minimum, she should not get married to him. And says, Their Majesty, to the caller whose former colleague saw his husband on a date with someone else and was struggling with how to come out as Polly to that person, I refuse to come out in a formal way to anyone anymore. Coming out always felt slightly apologetic, like what I was about to say might change how you felt about me. Fuck that. I come out now by matter-of-factly mentioning my husband. This caller should do the same about being gay and poly. Say to the woman, my husband and his boyfriend saw you but didn't get a chance to say hi. If she wants to engage further, she can, but it came from a place of normalizing it rather than inviting disapproval. For more listener comments, check out Struggle Session posted on Thursdays at savage.love, where I respond to comments, emails, and DMs from listeners and readers. It is another perk for Magnum subs. To get all the perks, become a Magnum sub at savage.love. And now, listener response calls. Hi, Dan. This is for the caller whose proposal went badly and she's questioning marriage. So somehow the proposal got screwed up. We don't know the details of how or why it was a disaster. But instead of appreciating the effort, she struggles to get over this misstep, even though he's, in her words, an idiot, and she was, quote, traumatized by the proposal on the same level as the trauma of her parents' divorce. What the fuck happened? If he's such a shitty planner on a grand scale, how does she know the wedding won't be a repeat? It sounds like she might grudgingly go along, which is like dragging someone to a movie you know they don't want to see. How are other people supposed to enjoy this? But one, he proposed without them ever having discussed marriage, And two, she accepted because she's a people pleaser. 
maybe the best thing for now is to stay engaged, but put the brakes on the wedding. What's the rush? And finally, maybe it was just an inartful word choice, but she says her boyfriend is an idiot. Whenever I hear one half of a couple disparage the other half, my first thought is, he's an idiot. You've chosen to be with an idiot. Why? Hi, Dan. This is a response to The Atheist from episode 878. I think that you gave the nice and correct answer, but I'm guessing the caller didn't want a nice or correct answer based on the tone of the call. So I wanted to offer that. When people ask me to pray for them, my shitty answer, if that's what you're looking for, is to who? Or if you want to be a special kind of dick, you could say to whom? Hello, Dan. I'm calling in a response to the newly open married couple from 878 who are feeling frustrated and boring because they can't tell their friends and loved ones about their new non-monogamous relationship. Well, I've been polyamorous for over a decade, and uh, I got some fabulous news for these people. It turns out that there's nothing more boring in this entire world than a newly opened married couple who won't shut up about it. I hate to break it to you kids, but uh, no one's uh, gonna care. It's not that scandalous as you think it is. Truly, go outside and watch a movie and keep it to yourself. Nobody gives a shit. And WGLIT, we're gonna leave it there. Don't know why I never shortened that into an acronym. It's perfectly acronymable. WGLIT. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan right now while the question is still fresh in your mind and record your question. Or you can use the voice memo app on your phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. Or you can call us and leave us a message at 206-302-2064. Be sure to check out the brand new Hump streaming library. Hump lineups past and present are available to stream online including the past three years of Hump Film Festivals, five volumes of our greatest hits, and our brand new Hump Hardcore All Kink lineup. Go to humpfilmfest.com to start streaming today. And while you're there, go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit to find out how you can get your porn masterpiece into my little dirty film festival. Follow me on Instagram and threads at Dan Savage. Follow me on Blue Sky, also at Dan Savage. You can follow Claire Perlman on Instagram at sexclarified. Be sure to check out her website, sexclarified.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and Nancy and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. We will all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading.